Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. We're coming to you on January the 26th. This is episode 341, part three of the Problem with Power series. So if you may recall, we started out with the Problem with Power, then we uh, transitioned into the Welcome to the Machine episode, and now we're going to talk about the Cry for Liberty. Why? Well, people define liberty differently. People um, bestow different kinds of values to different sorts of freedom. Now, Brian McClanahan has spent some time going through this in his own podcast, and I often will reference either himself or maybe Tom Woods or perhaps Chris Ann Hall. So if you don't know your history, if you if you don't know the Constitution, if you if you don't know a lot of this philosophy, I strongly recommend you pause me, go listen to their episodes related to this, this one specifically from Brian McClanahan, and then come back and listen to where I'm going to go with this. But before we get there, let me briefly pause and remind you that share, subscribe, like the show. That That's the bare minimum you can do. If you feel um, like you're happy that you get a little bit of uh, information, a little bit of uh, creativity, if you feel that's entertaining or informative, do me a favor. Go comment on the show and, and or rate the show, right? And following the show helps me build the base. It helps us get our word out. Uh, followers uh, apparently are important to the algorithm. Uh, my listenership has continued to grow. I'm doing just fine as far as I can tell. But we want to make sure that our voice is heard. So... Thank you for uh, tuning in and thank you for helping me out. On with the show we go. All right. So, the cry for liberty. I mean, this is something that, you know, when I was under the libertarian identity, right? I, I saw myself as far more libertarian than anything else. And, and I got to be honest, I haven't rejected it entirely. But you're kind of with this mindset based upon what you would learn from Locke, right? You know, in man, it's natural state, they're free and they're, you know, they're, they're able to enjoy the fruits of their labor and their possession comes about because of their work. And then out of this comes the idea that men are created or born equally, right? And, and by men, again, let's set this aside because apparently there's some People out there that don't quite grasp this, in the Latin root, when you use the male for a multiple, it can mean both men and women. So, <clears throat> I think this is going to be the last time I do that, because I'm just tired of it. And, in case you forgot, this is according to Cal, so the entire show is based upon both my understanding of events and theories, and my view on how these things play out. So, I try real hard to not make hard accusations, or to not make absolute definitive statements, but I always talk about what I think about it or how I see this fitting together because it is an opinion show, right? I, I do put things out there to help you learn, to help you mm, quench your thirst for knowledge or at least point you in the direction that you can get that, i.e. Brian McClanahan. But the the end of the process is I try and take everything that happens locally and hold it up against these principles or these ideas. Likewise, I try and take 
things that happen at a national or you know the federal level or the state level and how that will impact us here locally. One of the concerns that I have when I focus a lot of time on local items is there's not a whole lot of other people outside of Collin County or DFW that are going to necessarily have interest. So that's why I make sure I always do at least one episode a week talking about Texas, particularly Texit. <clears throat> I think that's one of the defining issues of our day and we need to know where we stand on it. We need to know the nuts and bolts behind it and some of the philosophies that undergird that. So as we talk about the idea of a cry for liberty, we're really talking about we want to remove restraint, right? We, we don't want to have our individual liberty, our ability to act for our own concerns, to be curtailed any more than absolutely necessary. Now, this is where the definition gets a little challenging, right? You can't have freedom without responsibility. And this is something that um, JC, that would be JC Hall, Chris Ann Hall's husband, who is a pastor and also spends a lot of time with his wife, talks about often is the idea that freedom without restraint or freedom without responsibility is going to be a nightmare. It's bad. You have to have that responsibility. You have to have something that guides your liberty. Now, in the United States, and indeed uh, for most of Europe, we are still coasting on the Christian mindset. Some will go so far as to call it a Judeo-Christian mindset. I don't know that I agree or disagree with that. I tend to look at it as very much more of a Christian mindset, and understanding that Christianity came out of Judaism, So it's not necessarily a complete rejection of those values. In fact, I would call it a fulfillment thereof. So if you hear me say Christian and I don't say Judeo-Christian, please don't interpret that as, oh, he hates the Jews. No, I don't give it much thought. So let's, let's take a moment and review different understandings of what man is like without government. So Hobbes... And this is very, very baseline level stuff. This is stuff from like freshman year philosophy that I took in college, you know, 20 years ago. So if I don't get it exactly right, don't beat me up. It's just off the top of my head. So Hobbes kind of saw life in the natural state is short and brutish, right? In other words, you didn't last very long. And while you were there, it was not exactly a lot of fun. Now, Rousseau... Uh, another thinker, uh, not a huge fan, have actually grown to reject him more and his philosophy over time. But he was an advocate also for government. But his idea was that man in its natural state is in a state of repose, but he doesn't really do anything and isn't really self-interested, I guess, would be my interpretation of it. And if I've got that a little off, again, this has been 20 years since I read anything from him. And then Locke's more of the idea where natural state uh, is free and will do things looking out for himself and his family. Uh, Not entirely dissimilar from Rousseau, but Locke's solution is more of a limited government, more of a guiding force. What's interesting is all three of these philosophers were dealing with the idea that Christianity had infused the politics of Europe, had Um, in some cases, superseded the politics of Europe. And one of the reasons why we ended up 
where we're at in our nation is they were very concerned that they didn't want to have the church and state merged together, that they saw that as a bad thing. They, they saw the abuses in Europe and the, the cycles of battle for control between the Protestants and the Catholics and the Anglicans and the uh, non-Anglicans. So they were hoping to end that cycle and move beyond that. Okay, so now let's look back at a couple of their solutions, or at least my understanding, right? So Hobbes's solution was a giant Leviathan state, right? The philosopher king that cannot be challenged, but that king is put there by the mass of the people, right? Leviathan is created by the people, and he or she is the voice or the authority of the state based upon the fact that they're there and they represent all the people. His idea behind that, in my understanding, was that without that, there's nothing to restrain man's bad behavior. Now, Rousseau, he kind of rejected the idea of uh, what I would call sinful nature, if you will, but he felt like man needed to be forced into doing certain things. They had to be controlled. They had to be properly educated. And out of him comes, you know, a couple of other theories and philosophies that really don't turn out so well for us. And they show up about 50 to 100 years later. But we're going to put a pin in that for just a minute because it's not relevant to where we're going. But Rousseau acknowledges that independent natural man wants to do his own thing, which may or may not be good, but his uh, solution is kind of a coercive state, but not quite to the point that Hobbes had dreamed up. Right. And then Locke is the other center, the other side of this equation, right? So if we've got the bar of more Liberty or more government, Hobbes is more government. Rousseau is probably closer to him than Locke, but Locke is definitely on the side with less government. So the Lockean principles, some of which came directly from Christianity, some was an interpretation thereof. This all came together. We created our government and we correctly identified that the biggest enemy to liberty is government, right? It is power. Hence the title, the problem with power. So how best to defend liberty? How best to ensure that minorities and individuals are protected from the majority because you can have a tyranny from a majority just as easily as you can have a tyranny from a minority. So they set up the different levels of government. They set up competing groups within the government. Unfortunately, we weren't entirely successful. Now, some would say that the, you know, the bankers bought it out. Okay, maybe that's a fair critique. Some would say that the lawyer sold us out. Okay, maybe that's a fair critique. Some would say that they turned it over to the bureaucracy so that they didn't have to be responsible. I think that's probably a little closer to where I might personally see things going. And then some would say all the above. Okay, well, now we're really cooking. So there's at least three different angles of why they picked apart and were able to destroy the restraints the Constitution put on government. But ideally, the, in my mind, the biggest fail, the, the biggest shortcoming was experienced by the states. And it happened particularly after the war between the states. So 
right, wrong, or otherwise, we had a war between the states. The outcome was a military dictatorship on the 11 states that lost, and the government was introducing contradictory ideas. One branch of the government was saying, well, they were never their own entity. They were in rebellion. The other entity in government said, well, they had no right to leave, um, but they were independent. They had separated temporarily, which is why we're forcing them to come back in this way. And then another branch said, it doesn't matter. We conquered it. Now they're going to do what we say because we're in charge. So it's kind of conflicting and it's definitely not a good result, right? But the outgrowth of that is, is now the federal government has asserted itself as supreme over the state governments. It was never created that way. The constitution was never designed that way. It was conceived that the states would be a check against federal power and federal abuse. Well, now the federal government has gotten away with this massive abuse and the repercussions are still being felt to this day. In fact, I would say that the repercussions have almost come to total fruition of the nature of federal abuse over sovereign states. And again, I'm not here to re-litigate whether they were right or wrong as far as what they were leaving for or what they were looking to accomplish. But when a state comes into a union, a state can leave the union. That's just a given. The states created the union. The states can dissolve the union. I mean, even the vaunted case of Texas v. White acknowledges that the union can decide to break itself up apart within the context of the Congress. So there is a way out. It's just that we would say we don't agree with that. And how does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, it used to be that if you didn't like one state and how they did things, you could go to the neighboring state. In fact, if you go back to history and you look at how Rhode Island came to be, how Connecticut came to be, how Vermont came to be, and really how Maine got separated from Massachusetts, you will see in large part it was dissidents, people leaving because they didn't like the colony they were in and creating their own colony, which became their own separate state. We really don't have that option anymore because the federal government, particularly since the Civil War, since the war between the states, has asserted its dominance and is trying to make everything uniform. It's a challenge to go to a different state and find much unique character left to that state. So I'll give you a little example here just as an aside. So I went to New Mexico for the first time probably eight or nine years ago. Um, I did not see any significant differences from New Mexico and West Texas. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Um, I did notice that they like green chilies on everything. I did notice that people sounded a little different than what I heard when I was in North Texas. Dallas, essentially, um, the people basically had a similar cowboy attitude. They wanted to be left alone, but it, it was it was dis, it was dissimilar in the sense that there was unique some residual uniqueness to the area. But basically, it was West Texas, and that was my impression. Now, I'm sure others would disagree and debate and whatever else. Okay, that's fine, and. Santa Fe is an interesting town, you know, and then of course there's a lot of, uh, what I would call native Mexican influences there, which again, neither good nor bad, just there. And that adds some uniqueness. I'll give it. And 
I don't think that overall the culture is significantly different than West Texas, but the politics definitely are, which is kind of interesting. So as you go around the nation, you'll find that most cities, the people are the same way. I mean, they may talk a little different. They may have a little bit different attitude, but it should be no surprise that they cities across the nation are super similar. They have the same stores, the same attitudes, the same, um, I want to not be hyperbolic. Let's call it political outlook, right? The idea that the city's here to protect us, take care of us, and we, we shouldn't have to, I'm just going to stop. <clears throat> so it's really hard when you're in a city to see and acknowledge that the general population actually desires liberty because they've forfeited it, whether they did it on purpose and, you know, intentionally or unintentionally by living within the city. But as soon as you get beyond the city, you move into the suburbs or the exurbs, it's quite clear that those people are there for a reason. They don't want to be micromanaged by the city. They, they like the less influence or control that is exerted by the county and even more so the state. So you've got two different groups of people, right? So if you go to downtown Dallas, the cry for liberty isn't really there in the same way, but it's still there. So let's revisit that for just a second. They want quote unquote artistic freedom. They want sexual freedom. They want whatever various kinds of freedom. Now we, you know, those of us that still subscribe to a Christian faith or a Christian worldview or even just residual Christian upbringing, we see that and we just kind of shake our head. You know, um, you turned yourself into a push kit. I'm sorry, a pin cushion and a billboard to what end? I mean, that's fine. You want to do that. I mean, but to what end? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. Or uh, you're taking part in whatever the latest perversion is. And we can look at it and say, well, it's sinful behavior. You shouldn't do that. Um, but, you know, I'm not comfortable with government coming in and punishing you for that. But on the flip side, you shouldn't and can't ask me to be okay with what you're doing. But they do. They, they, they assert a positive right, right? And I, we've talked about this in the past as well, the idea between a positive right and a negative right. You should be free from, well, they, conver- they converted that, you know, in the Roosevelt administration. They gave you a bunch of nebulous ideals that you shouldn't have to worry about, but that's part of liberty. That's part of normal life is you're going to have to think about where's my next meal coming from? What am I doing in my life to make sure that I have a house? What am I doing to in my life to make sure that I can get to work the next day or that I can have money to take care of my family. These are all normal and appropriate things when you have liberty. So one one has to consider just maybe the goal was we're going to take away those needs and we're going to substitute them with your subservience, with your uh your new need is to serve government. Your new need is to be dependent upon what government's going to give you. That's not liberty. And, and some people bifurcate their life. Well, I'm dependent on government for this, but I want to be able to do these things. Okay, that's fine. But I would just say, how's that working for you? Right? The Dr. Phil line, how's that working for you? Um, if we look further out, 
right? The people that are, quote, in the country, the people that don't shackle themselves to government, shackle themselves to the cities, those are the people that are the residual liberty seekers. Now, some of them are going to be Democrats. Some of them are going to have different values because that's normal. I mean, but the vast majority of those people there, they actually want that and they know what they want. So that's, that's where they go. They seek less intrusion in their life. They seek the ability to express and enjoy their liberties. But they're also responsible. They take care of themselves. They don't go crying to government for when they need things. So all that to say is I've kind of given you a definition of how this plays out. One, what is liberty? Who desires it? And what is the outcome of getting this liberty? Now, now we deal with the tough thing. I myself, I live in the suburbs. Um, I got to admit, I'm kind of chafing a little bit. We've got... 200,000 people in the city I live in, which had 50,000 when I got here. There's now a million people in my county, and there was probably only a half a million people when I got here. So it's crowded. It's tight. It's more government. It's more rules. It's more expansion. And again, it's this uniform thing, right? Every store looks the same going down the road. It's There's just not any individuality left. Not that that's necessarily the only goal, but when you can't express your unique culture, your, your unique um, inhabitants, right? The, the, the local culture, if you will. And I'm not talking about culture like as in a foreign culture, but I'm talking about an expression of an existing current culture. Most of that's been deleted. Most of that's been watered down and washed away. And I'm not sure that's necessarily terrible. Um, it's kind of like the whole idea of McDonald's, right? You can go to any McDonald's in this country and basically get the same cheeseburger and fries with a vanilla shake or whatever your fancy is. And it's always going to be the same. That's the goal. They want sameness. That's because that's what the people desire or so they say. I think it's more of we've been trained to expect. This is what we uh, want because we don't know any better. So what actions can you take this? You know, one of the things that I try and do, and I'm really trying to focus on bringing, especially this year is what are things you can do to overcome a shortcoming or to work around the system as it is, or to quite frankly, exert your desire for your own Liberty, for your, for your freedoms that were bestowed upon you by merit of your birth from your creator that government has seemed to find no end to the ways that they can curtail it. All that to say, well, first thing you can do is you can move out of the big cities. I'm in McKinney. I don't think I'm going to be leaving anytime soon. Part of me is not uber enthusiastic about it, but the other part of me is understanding that there's something to be done here. There's something to be said about what's going on. And, you know, there's a conceptual framework that every time you leave, you're surrendering. And that's the last thing I want to put forth is that I'm surrendering or I'm giving up. No, it's just was never really my desire, right? Another action you can take, get involved. You know, I talk about this all the time. Find the one thing that really inspires you, the one thing that really concerns you or, or the thing that you 
are basically a content expert on, right? Now, I don't care if it's school board issues, city council issues, commissioner court issues, or even state issues, but you should advocate and speak to those issues when given the opportunity. And, you know, in today's day and age, it's real easy. You go on social media, you do your little keyboard warrior thing. Maybe a step beyond that is you make a few phone calls. You call those elected officials or you call some influential people and you say, hey, this is not right or this is not good or these are probable outcomes if we do this, even though I'm not necessarily against it. Have we considered this or how do we mitigate these issues? You can do that. The next step would be is you show up in person. You go testify or you communicate. The next step beyond that is you get involved in a race or an issue um, movement or a um, protest or whatever you want to call it. And then beyond that, you can actually run for office. I I find it extremely interesting that in Collin County, <laughs> we've got at least three races that I can think of off the top of my head where there is not a quote-unquote Republican or conservative candidate in the race. Uh, if it flabbergasts me, we're, we're still a conservative county. We're still a conservative city by all measures. And, you know, but different people want to slice and dice that differently. Different people want to redefine it. But when you have somebody that is objectively progressive in a position and they have no opposition, everybody else can read that for, well, we've given up, or we don't oppose these person's ideas, or we are quite okay with what they're doing. I mean, whether it's Plano, Prosper, McKinney, or Frisco, you got to ask yourself, why don't you have people willing to do that? Why aren't people willing to make that investment? So the cry for liberty is there. Well, what are they? Where are these people? What are they doing? And I, and I honestly think in my heart that a large part of this goes back to the idea of pietism. I was in a conversation earlier this week and a person I know had indicated that when uh, they were growing up, they were always told that they should only worry about church and only be involved in church. Don't worry about the rest of the world around you. That's not your problem. That's not your responsibility. Well, no, I'm pretty sure that's a problematic reading of the scripture. The reason why we're at today where we're at today is because Christians seeded the field. They walked away. They went and hid in their church. Uh, They put on their rose-colored sunglasses, pretended everything was great. Uh, Maybe they went so far as pangloss. And then there was a few people that were Cassandras. And if you don't know what Cassandra is, that's just Greek mythology, a person that was given the gift of foresight, right? They could see the future, but the curse was, is nobody was going to believe them. So even if you would prognosticate the correct outcome or say, these are repercussions of doing this, nobody listened or nobody cared. Well, that's frustrating. So again, if you value liberty, if you value our independence, if you value limited government, my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Right? We, we, I believe that inside of every human being, there is a cry for liberty. Now that gets redefined or reprogrammed over time, particularly in the government schools, but there's an innate desire to be free from being told what to do. Where are you at? 
I mean, we had a quasi dystopian couple of years here, right? You were told you couldn't go outside unless you put something on your face. You're told you can't go to work unless you injected yourself with something. You were told that you couldn't travel unless you did certain things. I mean, excuse me, but I have no desire to relive the 30s in Germany. I have zero desire to live the relive the 20s in the Soviet Union. I have absolutely no desire to relive what it was like in Czechoslovakia in the 60s. I have no desire to ex- ever experience what China's been like for the last 150 or 2,000 years, depending on how you want to look at it. We believe that individuals have liberty, that individuals have rights, that individuals are God-given certain things that they can do and express themselves and function as people. And even though we find people that do things that are abhorrent to our own understanding, as long as they're not hurting somebody else, as long as they're not impacting another person, it's really not a problem for law. That's between them and God. That, that's between... And, and look, I, I know I've said this time and time again, you can't judge a pagan for not living like a Christian when they're a pagan. Likewise, Christians need to remind ourselves that somebody doesn't get to claim to be a Christian without understanding and agreeing to certain principles. Likewise, I would tell you, when you run across somebody that claims to be a conservative, you probably ought to look at how they define conservatism. There are a whole lot of things getting lumped into being quote-unquote conservative now that are clearly not conservative. And I'm aware of this. I've watched this play out for 40 years, essentially, that the progressive argument or the progressive position 20 years ago becomes a conservative position 20 years later. If you doubt me, just go back and read the history books. Now, there's a book which is in my reading stack called The Conservative Mind uh, by Mr. Kirk, Russell Kirk. Uh, He talks about these things, right? There are certain things that were established and are real. They're permanent and they need to be preserved. I'm just, I'm just wondering if we got tied up in all these other definitions and all these other false understandings of things. And now we're at a point that we don't even know what's what anymore. And I know, you know what I think about that. Well, I'm going to leave it there. I've gone my 30 minutes or so here and I I don't want to beat a dead horse. But join me tomorrow, Friday, we're going to do a brief update of some events and uh, occurrences, if you will, in the area, and maybe tie some of them together. Let's see. Until then, I'll see you on the other side.